Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. This morning, uh, as we dive in, I want to begin with a prayer. And this is um, a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer. And so if you'll bow with me. Eternal God, in whose perfect kingdom no sword is drawn but the sword of righteousness, no strength known but the strength of love, so mightily spread abroad your spirit that all people may be gathered under the banner of the Prince of Peace. As children of one Father, to whom be all dominion and all glory, now and forever. By your Son, who commanded us to love our enemies, lead them and us both from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us both from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled before you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Deliver us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. Ooh, revenge. It's a pretty big word. It's a word that means a lot to me. Um, I, uh, and this, confess something to you. Um, uh, revenge is something that I find difficult to resist. Uh, whether it's in my own life or, um, you know, in just what I'm striving for, what I want to happen. When I watch a movie about revenge, in fact, most of the movies that I watch are about revenge because it's, they're, they're just, it's just fun. It's cathartic. It's wonderful for me. And uh, if you know me, then hopefully you won't think less of me. If you don't know me, this is a character flaw I have, I understand. And if you're listening to me online, sorry. Um, but... Uh, I mean, the, the truth is for me, like I, I long for the moment when people who wrong others have revenge exacted on them. It just feels good, right? I'm rooting, I'm rooting for it to happen. And not, not that, the, the, uh, that a particular person gets revenge, but rather I'm rooting for revenge itself, okay? You know, I, I just, huh, it just feels so good, you know, and, and, um, I just want to see it. It's, it's a powerful thing. And, and um, anyway, but, but I, I think that, you know, because of people like me who really want revenge so much, like there, there are laws that have been uh, created, not only biblical laws, but also extra biblical in our society that, um, that have been written that are designed to prohibit excessive revenge, right? Retaliation. Rules that keep civil damages within reason, they, that, that don't allow for punishment to be cruel or unusual. They exist because of Jeremy Shelley. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's one of my shortcomings. This is a confession, I know. But um, revenge is really the darker side of what we're going to discuss this morning as we talk about self-defense. And, and I wanted to teach on this uh, because of the tension that I feel in, in, in what, I, what I believe about revenge, what I desire about revenge, and what I read in Scripture. Those things are intention for me, and, and, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this. And so um, that's why I wanted to talk about it. And last week, Ross taught about just war, and, and I feel like he did a, a really wonderful job clearly explaining a good position for the church to be in, albeit still uh, a position of tension between peace and, and fighting. But he left us with this statement, and, and, and I want to say it because I think it's a good place for us to begin today. He said, we must be slow to war rich in sacrificial love, even a willingness to risk and die for the sake of showing the love of Christ. And when we fight, we must pursue doing so in a way that shows the love and kindness of Christ to the people we are at war with whenever and however possible. So that as much as it is possible, and it won't always be possible, at every opportunity, we are about peace Love and restoration and war is a last resort. We're not going to stray too far from this this morning. Uh, but I do want to push some of the boundaries of our understanding. And, and I specifically asked Ross to, to not use the teaching 
from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount uh, about turning the other cheek, etc. Because I wanted to explore what Jesus meant uh, with his teaching and and be able to apply it to the individual life of the Christian. Uh, It's one thing to allow our faith to be a filter through which we decide to vote or bring a person into um, office under their leadership, but it's another for us to allow the teachings of Jesus to directly impact how we will respond to evil as we encounter it on a daily basis, right? When evil comes into our homes, when it comes into our church, when it comes into our children's schools, how we deal with it is different than when we're electing officials. So maybe maybe a better question is for us, how are we going to align our actions with our beliefs? Will we, will we choose actions? Will we prepare for that moment because of what we trust from Scripture? Or will we allow our personal thoughts and desires to determine what we do? The struggle that, that many face is the reality that when we're wronged, and I'm speaking about me, really, when we are wrong, often our response is full of vindictiveness. What we want, what we long for, what we yearn for is a greater justice than we actually deserve. You know, if we're threatened, then our emotional response is to counteract that threat or force of evil with something that's stronger, that's greater. But is this the best course of action? I think when we read Jesus' words about retaliation and self-defense from the Sermon on the Mount, our first reaction should cause us to rethink our views about retaliation. So we're going to start there today. We're going to discuss what Jesus may have meant when he said these things and And I hope to unfold um, an appropriate understanding of Jesus' teachings. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 through 42. So if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open them up and and, um, underline some of this, maybe make some notes in the passages. This, This particular section of Scripture is found in its greater context in the Sermon on the Mount, the the longest teaching that Jesus ever gave, okay? And um, in in particular, this part is the fifth of six discourses on the lifestyle of a godly person. Jesus begins with a discussion about anger and then lust and divorce, oaths, retaliation, which is what we're going to discuss today, and finally, uh, love for our enemies, and each of these begin with this, with the saying, uh, with Jesus saying, you've heard it, that it was said before. And then he responds with this expansion of the teaching. So let's read this together. Uh, this passage about retaliation, we're going to begin in verse 38 and read through 42. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other on him, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now this, this passage of scripture, uh, it has served as the backbone for Christian pacifism. And, and I don't want to speak too much about it. I think Ross dealt with it uh, quite quite a bit last week. And um, one, some of the things that he said that, that that Christian pacifism is broken down into 29 subsets. And and um, I mean the the reality is that it's difficult to define what it actually is, what pacifism truly is. And 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 you can't nail someone um, uh, to the wall and say this is what you believe. But one thing I will say is that if if a person who claims to be a pacifist, uses only this text as the reason for uh, their belief, for their lifestyle, uh, then that belief in pacifism is untenable. I think if they um, broaden their perspective, if a person who is a pacifist looks into the Old and the New Testament and, and they look for the sayings of Jesus and, and the teachings and, and, and then they come to that conclusion, that's one thing. But to focus it solely here, uh, verses 38 through 42, they have a difficult time proving it. And so um, I am going to take this, uh, this text this morning for the base of our teaching, um, but I'm going to look all over the Bible to demonstrate how we can have a faithful rendering of this text uh, and so we're going to begin first with Jesus's reference um, in Exodus 21, right? He begins with, you've heard it said before that an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. And, and I want to clarify something this morning as we begin. Uh, 
the, uh, the scripture in Exodus is not about revenge. I don't think any of the teachings that Jesus is talking about are really about revenge. That's um, in my life for so long, that's how I understood this passage. I, you know, I, I, if you do something to me, then I get to exact revenge on you in this way. You know, like that made me feel really good, but that's not, that's not what, um, Jesus was saying, nor is it even what Moses was saying. Instead, it was, it was written to create a boundary or a guideline for how far you could, um, repay someone for a damage that they've done to you. Okay. And, and, and so the Exodus teaching, it's suggesting that, that it's, it's, it's better just to lose an eye if someone takes your eye or a tooth for a tooth rather than have some kind of an escalating feud that doesn't end where people are, are, are trying to one up each other and it gets out of hand. He's saying, no, there's, there's guidelines, there's boundaries that we need to have. And then Jesus offers an alternative to these boundaries in Matthew 5. Instead of an eye for an eye, he suggests that we offer another cheek when we are hit, that we offer our coat when someone asks for our shirt, that we offer to help even more when someone asks for our assistance. Now, a couple of questions arise for me as I'm reading this. First, does Jesus mean for this teaching in Matthew 5 to be something that we always do? Is this always our response when someone wrongs us? Do we always turn the other cheek? Do we always offer our coat? Do we always go the extra mile? Secondly, what does Jesus mean in this? Like, what's the point? I mean, is it as clear as it seems? Uh, To answer the first question, I think um, that we should only have to look at the life of Jesus to see if he meant this teaching to be something that we always practice, right? I mean, if Jesus always turned his other cheek when when he was given the opportunity, then clearly he would mean for us to always do the same, Um, you know, and so we're, you know, we're going to look that way. But and I, I don't think that we have to look too far before we see that, in fact, Jesus does not always offer his other cheek. We see a variety of different responses um, from Jesus's life. In fact, sometimes we find him fleeing from evil. Sometimes we, we see him defend himself when, when he is attacked. Sometimes he fights. He attacks himself. Sometimes he does, in fact, turn the other cheek, as he says. And, and let's look at some of those um, a passage in scripture. Luke chapter 4, verses 29 and 30. This is a very interesting uh exchange with Jesus. And they rose up. Those are the people in the town of Nazareth. And they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. So here, here Jesus is confronted by a crowd of people after he's been teaching in the synagogue in Nazareth his hometown, and the people there are mad at him. I mean, they're so mad that they want to hurt him pretty bad. They want to throw him off of a cliff, which, by the way, I, I just this is not a good model for how to handle someone who um, teaches something that you don't like, okay? I think you hear what I'm saying. If you don't like something that I say or something that Ross says, don't charge this stage and pull us out and try and throw us off a cliff. Good luck finding one in Columbus. No, it's better to send an email, okay? Um, Maybe a phone call. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, okay, so so let's go back. What what does Jesus do here, all right? He's got this crowd that's mad at him. They don't like what he's teaching, and and, and they're angry with him. And and, and so what does he do? He resists his enemy is what he does. We don't know how he does it, but mysteriously, he finds a way through the crowd, and he flees from them. He leaves. I mean, based on this encounter, can't we assume that there are some times that it's best for us to flee when we're engaged with an enemy, right? It has to be okay. It has to be appropriate at some times. Sometimes we can't do what some might call an act of love. If Jesus had died that day because he chose not to resist evil, he allowed them to attack him the way that they wanted to, then he couldn't have fulfilled the work that he came to do, right? 
and, and we don't know what he did. We don't know how he did it. We don't know if he used his power um, to get through the crowd and get away from them. But something occurred that allowed him to get through a bunch of people that wanted to hurt him. So that he could fulfill his purposes, the reason that he came. What about John chapter 18? Another opportunity. After Jesus was arrested in the garden, he's standing before the high priest. Jesus in this moment has this perfect opportunity to turn the other cheek when his cheek is struck. But what does he do? The high priest, uh, verse, verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews, where they all come together. I have said nothing in secret. So why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard what I've said and uh, ask, ask, I'm sorry, ask those who have heard me uh, what I've said to them. They know what I've said. Now, at this point, what Jesus is doing is he's appealing to this Jewish law that protects him from self-incrimination. You know, we understand that. He's saying, I'm not going to tell on myself. I'm not going to incriminate myself. If you want to accuse me of some of something, then have the people who are against me accuse me of it. Verse 22, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Struck him. Jesus answered him. If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I've said is right, then why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now, how do we square with this interaction? Did Jesus offer his other cheek? I mean, Jesus defended himself. This is what he did. He defended his innocence. And, and by the way, and you're going to hear me say this in a minute. Um, but I actually think what Jesus has done here in this moment, this interaction with this guard and with the high priest, I think this is really what Jesus means when he talks about turning the other cheek. I think this is probably the clearest example of what we should be doing. But um, we're going to talk about that later. So before we move on, though, um, what about those times? What about those times when Jesus cleared out the temple? How, how do we... How do we understand those? Jesus spends a lot of time in the temple. He's in the, in the synagogues. He's teaching. He, he's, the, the two times that we hear about him cleaning them out, clearing them out, those are only two times that, that he was there in the temple. But in those moments, at some point in his spirit, he felt the appropriate thing to do was to clear it out forcibly. I mean, Jesus didn't just kind of whisper as he was doing this, hey, guys, I think you need to get out of here. You're not doing it right. No, Jesus in, 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 in John, in John 2, he actually forms a whip. He turns over tables. He drives people out of the temple, drives them out. You can find these interactions, Matthew 21, verse 12, and John 2, 13. See, there seem to be moments... For us as Christians, when the most appropriate response is one of defense and maybe even violence in the same way that it was for Jesus. And I, I want to quote David Diani, the, the pastor of Vineyard Community Church. He's been their pastor since 1978. He's here in, in Reynoldsburg. This is what he says. In order to properly obey Jesus's teaching on turning the other cheek, one must be in constant touch with the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is a time to resist evil and a time to lash out against it and a time to not resist it. We are surely to forgo personal vengeance and retaliation motivated by animosity, hurt pride, and resentment. I'm going to say that one again because that's really important. We are surely to forgo personal vengeance and retaliation motivated by animosity, hurt pride, and resentment. We are clearly allowed to resist evil where questions of justice, righteousness, and truth are involved, especially to protect the oppressed and also to prevent the continued action of evil. You see, the action of Christ's life, they, they suggest that, that our response is to not always turn the other cheek. So therefore, we have to prayerfully consider what's the best course of action for us when we experience intact. How do we best advance the purpose of the gospel in those situations? 
We must, we must be thinking of those things all the time. How do we glorify God the most now? Holy Spirit, come, speak to me. It's the prayer that we have. And the hard reality is that, that we're always going to have to live in this tension of trusting the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's not always easy. Now, Jesus did choose to turn the other cheek, and, and we read an example of it as he's in the garden, as he's being arrested. This is in Matthew 26, verse 50 and following. And I love this particular passage because I think it demonstrates a lot of what Jesus was trying to teach us in Matthew 5 as well. Jesus said to him, friend, that's Judas, do what you came to do. Then they came up and they laid hands on him and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, Peter, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant on the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Okay. So Jesus in this moment does not resist evil. He allows himself to be arrested. But please note, that what Jesus does here in, in, in acknowledging that he has the power to stop what's happening. This is so important for us. Jesus didn't have to be arrested at this moment. He could have destroyed all of his enemies there. He could have called thousands of angels to come to his side and take care of his enemies. But he chose not to. Instead, he chose to submit to the scriptures. He chose to submit to the will of the Father. And, and here's what I think we draw from this. The only time that we really have the power to offer mercy is when we have the power to withhold it. Right? If we're not strong enough or defensible enough, then we don't have the privilege of extending mercy. If Jesus didn't have the power of his father or a thousand angels that could come and help him, then his action of not resisting evil would have been no more than a pitiful surrender. There's no mercy in that action. And the same thing is true for us. We can't offer something that, that we don't first have. And this is really what I see happening in the core text that we're dealing with today of Matthew 5. Jesus is demonstrating creative ways for people to regain power when it's been robbed from them. Let's look back to, the, to Jesus' teaching on the mount. He tells us to turn the other cheek. He tells us to give away our coat, to go the extra mile. So what is he actually saying? In each of these scenarios, something is being taken from a person that's unjustified. In the instance of the man who's hit on the cheek, his dignity has been taken from him. In the person who's being sued for his coat, he, he's losing his shirt and he's being shamed in the process. In the instance of the man who has to go uh, the extra mile, who walks the extra mile, that man has no rights. This is not a go softly into the night speech that Jesus is making here in Matthew 5. He, 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 what Jesus is saying is, when you have the opportunity, expose the truth of the situation. Point out what's really happening. Do not go gently into the good night. Thank you, Dylan Thomas. Good poet. You can read them later. Let's look at each of these. What's actually happening in these scenarios. To be hit on the right cheek and then offer your left. The directions that Jesus is giving here are very important. See, why, why would he be talking about the right cheek, getting hit on the right cheek? Think about it for a minute. This isn't a normal fist fight that Jesus is describing. Uh, a normal fist fight would be explained the other way. If I'm going to offer someone or punch someone with my right hook, which is my strong arm, because the right hand is the strong hand. We'll get to that in a minute. If I punch you with my right hook, what cheek do I land it on? Left, right? Left, right? Correct. Left. It's, it's, it's the left cheek. And so there's this assumption here that re Jesus is referring to a right hand because the, the left hand, it was used for other things, okay? We can leave it at that. Use your imagination. It was used for other things. In fact, um, back then in that culture, if someone was left-handed, uh, they were considered... Um, 
broken. Uh, are there any left-handed people out here? I'm just, who am I talking? Okay, got a couple. Did you know the word sinister actually means left-handed? It's true. It's true. It comes, like, if you were left-handed, something was wrong with you. That's what, what people assume. Now, I don't really think that. Um, but, but what ultimately Jesus is saying is if you're getting struck on the right cheek, then it's actually this movement of being backhanded. This isn't a normal fist fight, okay? And, and, and in the Jewish culture, to be backhanded, it wasn't just a violent blow, but it was also an insult, a huge insult. It implied that if you got struck on the, on the, on the, on the left cheek, on the right cheek, sorry, if you get struck on the right cheek, that you're less than someone else. You're inferior. You're like a slave being hit by their master. You're, forgive me, it's the cultural thing, but you're like a woman. You're like a child. You're not a human. You're not, your dignity has been robbed from you. This is a huge insult and it was demeaning. It was robbing someone of their humanity. And then to offer the other cheek, as Jesus says, what Jesus is saying is, you want that person to treat you like the person that you actually are. It's like saying, you don't have the right to insult me like that. If you're going to fight me, fight me like a human. Fight me like a man. Fight me like the person that I am. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a defensive response. It's a response that could result in a larger fight, right? You know, it's, it's not passive. It's an invitation to a real fight. And, 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 and it's ex- exactly what Jesus does in front of the high priest after he's struck by the guard. He says, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, then why do you strike me? Treat me like you actually mean it. I want you to call me out for my behavior. Don't, don't pretend like, anyway. Jesus is, is demanding dignity in that moment. He's calling us to. So obviously there seems to be more to what Jesus is saying here in the sermon. And, and, and it's not just some simple teaching that we can just read without a contextual understanding. In the case of the, the man in court who's being sued for the shirt off his back, he's saying turn around and give the only other thing that you might own, your coat as well, which, by the way, would have also been used for betting in a lot of cases. Um, so this action would do two things. One, it would highlight how ridiculous it would be for someone to sue you that greatly. Okay, people back then really just wore two pieces of clothing. That's usually all they would own. They would have a shirt, which is kind of like underwear, and then they would have a coat over that, you know, and, and uh, sometimes it would be a coat of many colors. Um, Maybe not in this situation. We don't know. But, but essentially what, what is being said here is, is um, like if you were to give that person your coat after they sued you for your shirt, you're saying, you know, if you need my underwear that badly, then you may as well take my coat too because you're in more desperate need of it than I am. So it's this shameful act of suing the shirt off of someone's back is then turned around on them. Like, whoa. You need this more than I do. How dare you, you know, uh, rich person, reduce someone to nakedness, which is also another really interesting thing about this. Because in the Jewish culture, if you looked upon someone's nakedness, then you were the one who was shamed. So Jesus essentially is saying, okay, if someone's going to sue you for your underwear, get naked right in front of them, okay? Which I guess that would kind of prohibit like who you might want to sue um anyway uh let's not talk about that uh do you remember noah you guys remember noah right right okay so noah it was he was the guy that created the ark but we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about that right now what we're gonna talk about is um it was noah that got drunk and naked and went to sleep in his tent and who was shamed when they saw uh naked noah who was it that was shamed? It was his son, right? He walks into the tent. Whoa! You know, his son that saw him was the one that got the shame. And so the, the other two sons backed into the tent so they wouldn't look upon Noah's nakedness. They covered him up with a sheet, and then no one else got shame. In this culture, if you saw someone naked, then the shame wasn't on that person, but also on you. It was shame on you as well. 
So Jesus is saying, do what you have to, to not only expose the injustice that's being done to you, but also shame the person who created the injustice. This is a power shift that Jesus is talking about. To expose what someone is actually doing, pun intended. To turn the tables with your response is a very powerful move. Finally, case of the extra mile. Under the Roman law, the Jewish people were required to help a Roman soldier carry their equipment. This is called the law of impressment. Um, A Roman soldier uh, could impress a Jew into service and demand that they would carry their gear for one mile. The Jews were living in an occupied state. It was occupied by Rome. Rome made the rules. The Jews had less rights, if any, under the Roman soldiers. And, And so the Roman soldier could make a Jew work for them, okay? And there was this stipulation, though, to this law. There was a stipulation that said a soldier could only require a Jew to carry their gear for one mile. Only one mile. If you go two, then the Roman soldier would get in trouble from their uh, commanding officer. You see where this is going, right? So a soldier would be reprimanded if they made someone carry their stuff for more, more than a mile. It was a strict law. They could be fined. They could be imprisoned. They could, they could be, all kinds of stuff would, be, would happen to them. So Jesus... I mean, he's not really saying, pick up that gear and insist that you're going to carry it for two miles and be a good servant. That's not what he's saying at all. What, what, what he's saying is um, um, that because the soldier would never allow that. Jesus is saying, pick up that gear, carry it for a mile. And while you've got it in your hands, the stuff that the soldier owns, you have power over them. And as you get you know, like to the end of that mile, speed up, run away from that soldier. Right? Because the soldier is going to be worried about if the commanding officer sees this Jew going an extra mile for him. The soldier knows what it could mean if he got caught having this person carry his stuff for more than a mile. A little different to think about it that way, right? To hear these things in this context makes you wonder what Jesus was really saying. And he knows that if you're going to do these things, if you're going to respond this way, you are rocking the boat. You're going to create even more tension that exists. All of these situations are about a person asserting the power that they have, however little it might be. When a man is slapped or sued or has their rights taken away from them, They're choosing then to square their shoulders and shed light on what's really happening. And that's not only an act of defense, but it's also an establishment of power. So when Jesus was in the garden and he acknowledged that he could call on the Father and and 12 legions of angels and they would come to his aid, he's really just calling out the truth in the situation. I have power over the situation. But he chooses to demonstrate mercy and be taken captive. Captive. The only time that we have power to offer mercy is when we have the power to withhold it. If an enemy is attacking us, we have a responsibility as Christians to do at least two things. One, first and most importantly, we have to stay tuned to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the situation. See, we're not only called to respond one way. Sometimes, like Jesus demonstrated, it's best to flee. Sometimes it's best to uh, defend. Sometimes it's best to attack. And sometimes it's best to not resist evil. We have to continue to be prayerful. Or in Paul's words, we have to pray without ceasing. We have to be connected to God through the Spirit. Secondly, though, we have to be ready to make a defense. We must be ready to make a defense. Psalm 82, verse 3 and 4 says, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Proverbs 31, 8. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. See, Christians have a responsibility to defend those who cannot defend themselves. We have the right to defend ourselves also when we are experiencing injustice. And my fear is that we often, and I do include myself in this, we often opt for something that looks like peace because we know that we are no match for our enemy. How easy is it to say that Jesus wants us to turn the other cheek and take the next slap on the face because it means that we're resisting evil when the reality is we're just afraid to fight. 
we're afraid to defend our dignity or the rights of others. Sometimes we're outmatched, but even then we should fight for those things. If we're afraid of losing the fight or being beat up, then that's no more than cowardice. And it bears no relationship to Christianity. And it's certainly not a good reason to turn the other cheek. Following the standard that Jesus sets out for us in Matthew 5, it leads us to a place where we must choose to restrain our power. Do we have it in us? Do we have it in us to restrain our use of power and choose not to use our strength? And that's what Christ modeled for us. Can we? Can we prepare ourselves in a way that provides us with enough resources to be powerful, but able to restrain the use of those resources when it's appropriate? The question of self-defense can be considered from many different angles, right? We can think about it in terms of the right to carry guns as a form of protection. Um, We can think about it as a, a way to educate ourselves that will protect us from civil disputes that are unwarranted. Um, you know, is it important for us to, to train against the spiritual principalities that are at war with us? And I think it's invited, it's vital for us to be prepared in these ways so that when we are attacked, we can make a choice rather than have to surrender because we know that the enemy can defeat us. When we are challenged, it's better for us to be able to restrain our power than to not have any choice at all. Therefore, we need to prepare ourselves. And I would even suggest that we need to be raising up the next generation, training them to be sufficient in these ways. To know how to defend themselves. To know how to restrain the power that they have as well. Um. Well, I'm going to stop here uh, because we're running out of time. And uh, we're going to answer some questions. And uh, I want to invite Brian Malachowski up uh, to help me answer some of these questions. And uh, Brian serves as a small group leader here at Quest. He he was one of the folks who sat on the Quest Care board as uh, they were writing and creating Quest Care and uh, has a very big passion and desire for um, seeing... Uh, the needs of others met and cared for. Uh, he's an attorney, and I think his voice is important uh, for us to, to listen to today. And he and I might disagree. We did disagree in the first service. Um, we didn't break into punches. Um, really but, one-sided uh, fight It's okay. There. It's okay. I, I hope that we have some disagreement. That's all right. So, um, so please help me welcome Brian here this morning. Hi, Quest. Am I? Am I am. Um, Start sending questions because we don't have many. We don't have any questions. Well, we have. Uh, will you make this podcast on revenge available to the Baylor to the Baylor football team ahead of their meeting with TCU in November? You guys are hilarious. I went to UConn, uh, so I don't really care about this question for football. <laughs> Go basketball. Or anything, probably right. Bas- basketball? What? Come on, basketball. Yeah, okay. uh, the Kentucky, answer is yes. Kentucky. All right. We have a question here. It says, I appreciate the idea of exposing the injustice and shifting power. That makes sense to me. Um, But where is the mercy? Hold on. Where is the mercy, love your enemy stuff in this? How do you reach your enemies with grace then? It's a good question. That's a great question. Um, do Do you want to address any of it? the Sermon on the Mount? You okay? Am I? Yep. Okay. <laughs> now you can hear me. Uh, I think that questioner, and it was not me, I'll just, it was not me, had a good point. Um, my father-in-law has a great phrase that I'm going to rip off right now. It's to be dangerous for good. And we're not called to be weak. We're called to be meek. We're supposed to hold that power that you talked about well but still reach people in the process. So like Jesus was doing um, when he responded to all the Pharisees, um, he reached his enemies. He did that well. Um, But I'm not sure how to respond to the the using force in that question. 
that part I have to leave to you. Yeah, so um, what, I, what I think when, when Jesus is saying to do these things, to turn the other cheek, to, um, to essentially regain your dignity, to regain a place where um, you're in, a, in an equal position with someone else, when we do that, that's when we have the opportunity to restrain any kind of power that we have. I think that's the only time that we have an opportunity to restrain power. Uh, because without it, we're always going to be um, weaker than the other person, and we can't, we can't operate from a, a position of equality. And so I think that's what Jesus was ultimately trying to say here in Matthew five thirty-eight through 42, that, that we can only offer mercy, we can only offer love, we can only offer those things when um, someone, when, really when, when we're essentially equal with someone else. And, uh, and so... Um, I don't. I don't think um, at for any amount of time that our always our response will be one that is violent. Jesus's responses were not always violent. I think he did have a little bit of violence. It is hard to find that um, from him. But the the clearing at the temple, those are times when when he clearly was violent. Um, but because he does resist evil and fleeing, because he does he does um, you know offer love and mercy. Uh, and he submits to the will of his father at other times, what he's demonstrating for us is that, that there are times for us to operate in different ways. Sometimes we need to offer love. We need to absolutely do that, but it's important for us to be able to do it. So let's say we're uh, running down the road with um, a Roman soldier's gear in our hands, and we're starting that second mile, right? And, uh, and, the, and the Roman soldier's like, whoa, 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 stop, I'm going to get in trouble for this. We now have that power, right? And so we can offer love and mercy and say, I, I'm, I, here, I can give your stuff back so you don't get in trouble. I can stop this from, from getting out of hand. You see, you see how there's an opportunity there to, to bless that Roman guard. I don't really think that, that Jesus was wanting uh, in that statement about the Roman guards. I don't think he was really saying that to, to say we're going to love our enemies in such a way that they're going to become followers of Christ. I, I really don't think that's what he was hoping to accomplish with that part of it. Um, because that, that would be really difficult to do, uh, to, to win over an enemy like that. Um, but he certainly was hoping that people would regain any lost dignity. Uh, there's one more question oh, but, while I'm letting you read that. I, I think we're also called to be proactive when possible, uh, that uh, we can know who our enemies are. And I'm just going to read from the Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6. 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Um, so if we, if we can know ahead of time and actively engage that person and diffuse the situation, we should do that, I think. Do you agree? I was thinking about Question. Oh, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> He's a pretty smart guy. I, I think he's probably right. I don't know. <laughs> I've got a whole lot of tabs here. <laughs> um, well, let me let me address this other question. Sure. Uh, so it says, uh, and I, I love this other question because, and I, I was actually prepared for someone to answer this or to ask it. But he says, what, what about the, or she, um, what then about the verses in the Sermon on the Mount about meekness and humility? What is the rationale for always needing to get power back? Is trusting that God is powerful, is that, I assume, is that trusting that God is powerful enough? Well, to, to address this, um, the Matthew, this is also Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is talking about uh, the blessed. This is the Beatitudes. He says, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So particularly he's talking about the meek here. And, and um, the, the word, the Greek word, gosh, I wish I had written it down. The Greek word for this uh, is very different than uh, what our English word for meekness is. The Greek word talks about a power under restraint. So blessed are those who are powerful, but keep that power under restraint, for they shall inherit the earth. This is meekness here. And, and Jesus was described as meek and lowly as well. Um, humility comes into this. It's uh, when Paul's talking in Romans 12 about you're going to know yourself well enough. Um, uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing. There's this a healthy understanding of who you are, of knowing who you are. But it, but there's still this um, when things are difficult, when suffering is real, you have the ability to to patiently survive underneath that. 
That's what meekness is really um, talking about. It's really about this strength that a person has uh, that, that they can restrain, that they can control, uh, that, that, they, that they actually have. And, so, and the control then leads to offering love. And, um, and I do think, I think uh, very certainly, and Jesus demonstrated, to answer the last part of that question about um, is it, uh, uh, what's the rationale? We need a bigger iPad. Um, is trusting that God is powerful enough. I think that's precisely demonstrated to us by Jesus in, in the garden when he says that my God can change all this, but I'm going to trust in his, um, his will and his way. Uh, I think that's modeled for us. We should absolutely trust in the power of God. Um, and, but I, I, still, I still believe that, that God has given us all different gifts uh, different abilities, and, and if we can, if something's been taken from us unjustly, then, then it's absolutely appropriate for us to regain that. It's interesting, too, when, when we're looking through the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in these um, six antitheses, as they're known, um, you know, we're talking about adultery and murder and loving your enemies and then hearing retaliation, the first few are all external. You've heard it said before that um, if you commit adultery with a woman, all that kind of stuff. He says, well, I tell you, if you even uh, look at a woman with lust, that you've already committed adultery with her. That's a, that's a, Jesus is, is changing this thing. Um, it was an, about an external action, and now he's saying on your intern, the inside of what you're thinking and feeling also matters. And then when we get to this, this part about retaliation... The, the interesting thing about it is, is that it's someone else who's taking something from you. So if you look at that woman, take a step back, if you look at that woman with lust, you're taking away her dignity and you're, you're turning her into an object. If you, if you think about murdering that person, you're taking away from them their dignity and their humanity because you're, you're reducing them to something that you want to destroy. And Jesus is saying, if you even think about that, that's wrong. And then he changes it. He says, when someone does that to you, when someone steals from you, this is a way that you get it back. That's what he's saying. He's, he's, he's creating this balance of, of living as a follower of Jesus. We don't take dignity from someone else, and when someone takes it from us, we, can, we have a way to get it back. That's what this discourse is, is really about. There's one more question. There's, there's one more. Um... I, I have a, a different response to... I was going to read the paragraph from Romans. Yeah, or, do it. Okay. I view, like we said before, good and godly Christians can disagree about how to interpret stuff. And we disagree on certain things. So I was just going to read a passage in Romans about a response. It's Romans twelve fourteen. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So this is the act of persecution. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay evil. I will repay, says the Lord. Um, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, how much time do we have? Is... We probably need to wrap up pretty quick. Okay. Do you want to add into that to this question? I was thinking about the last question. We have one more one question. question. What principles would you use to determine when nonviolent defense is appropriate or whether a violent defense is correct? It's a good question. It's a really good question. Do you want me to start? What do you think? Sure. <laughs> I agree. These are all appropriate flags if you want. Okay. I am not a perfect pacifist, I'll fully admit. I think Jesus did use force at times. Um, in the garden when he was coming to be arrested, uh, his simple voice knocked the, the centurion, or I don't remember, 
he, he knocked them down to the ground. Uh, in Acts, he blinds Saul at that time. Um, I think at times um, we might need to use force. I, I'm not totally sure how I feel about lethal force. That's a different question. Um, I, I think it should be our last resort. And when we do go to it, it must be necessary. And I mean really necessary. I mean necessary. Not convenient, but necessary. Um, I think this is one of those places where Jesus comes and he doesn't give us perfectly defined laws. I think the world is too messy, and that's not how Jesus worked. He talked in parables. He, he went beyond what was actually there. The, the Pharisees knew the laws better than anyone else, and they didn't actually look towards Jesus. He didn't create a new system of this is when you can use force. He created a system of walk with God, walk humbly with him, love mercy, act justly, and then figure it out as you go. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next one, is it possible that the offering the other cheek, uh, we are given the other opportunity to rethink their action and thereby ask for forgiveness? Yes. Um, I think this one came in before you circled back to the full explanation. Um, that's all the questions we have, so I'm going to try to refresh it. Anyone have any questions for us? Send them in, please. And if you don't have any right now, which doesn't that's seem like, I did a good job in this service, man. There were like <laughs> much better job. 30 questions in the first service. So I'm <laughs> glad I, they must not have been listening, I suppose. Um, now here, it, it's, oh, Joe's got a question. Do you want to come up here and, and uh, ask it so everyone can hear That's a, a wonderful question. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> you turned your right cheek towards me. Did you all see that? Uh... I don't, well, I have two questions. One is the academic side of me. Um, the, the use of, oh, man, I don't want to get the church in trouble here. Uh, as the pragmatic side, which is the easier one to address, is the use of torture an effective tool. And um, many within the, the areas where people who would actually know the answer to that um, say that it's not as effective as other methods. I can't think of any justification in that Jesus would support for the use of torture itself. Uh, no person... Um, I'm trying to think of, of a single apostle who would torture... I, I can think of Stephen... When he was, he gave a sermon. The people were upset with him, and he became the first martyr. Um, I think that's what we're, we're called to. That's also a question of: um, Are there certain areas of of the world that Christians should just never put themselves into for those kinds of questions? Um, but I, I fall on the, the pacifist side, although I'm I'm not a perfect pacifist. Although I don't think that term. Is even a good term anymore. Do you have any? I, yeah, I, I kind of agree uh, with that position in terms of I don't know if we can find a, a defensible reason to, uh, to torture someone like that from Scripture. Can we see how Jesus may have modeled that? I, I don't think we can. And, uh, and so, I, I mean, I, that's, it, it really does become a difficult a difficult question. I know some people have asked a different type of question, but it kind of follows along the same lines of like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, how many of you are familiar with him? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was uh, a Christian. He's a theologian, uh, and he lived uh, during the Nazi regime, and he was uh, part of a group of people that actually set out to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler. And and some people have asked that question of, is, is that an appropriate response? Can a Christian put themselves in that place where they're, they're going out to use lethal force against someone that they know is um, committing all kinds of injustices on, on humanity. 
And, uh, and I know that some pacifists, and you can speak to this a little bit uh, more clearly maybe, um, have said absolutely not. That if they were put in that situation, their response, um, what they read in Scripture says, no, that's not an appropriate response. I, am, I sit on the other side of the fence. I, I think that that's where when we read um, passages, uh, particularly um, in the Psalms, about how we have to fight for the, the, uh, against the people who are doing those injustices. Some of the things that I quoted earlier out of Proverbs and Psalms, um, I think that's where it comes up. Or, or even, even in Psalm uh, one. F- 40, let me see if I can find it real fast. David uh, is, is praising God uh, for preparing him for battle. And uh, let me see if I can. It's ESV. Yeah. Oh, good version. Um, yeah. Acts 29. <laughs> that was good. Acts 29. You, oh, got it. Okay. Um, let me see. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I have the right. passage here. Excuse me. Um, uh, what David is saying here, it says, um, I think it's 138. Jesus, oh, sorry, David says, um, he says, thank you, God, for preparing my hands um, for battle. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Pres- uh, preserve me from them, from the violent men who plant evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. Um, guide me from the hands of the wicked, preserve me from violent men. He talks about, I'm trying to find the exact reference, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm struggling to find it, but he talks about how um, uh, let me be like a double-edged sword to um, destroy my enemy. And uh, clearly a, um, uh, a violent act that God is preparing him for. And I think that's, I think, so I think there can be an argument for it, but I, I also I can see the other side of it too. I want to give the other side. Good. That's what I'm here for. Uh, I think this might speak to your question. Romans 12, uh, starting in 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought, give thought, give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, Joe, to get back to your question, we have, as believers, more than just an option of torture or do nothing. We should be engaging with the world, passionate about the world, emptying ourselves out for the world. Should we torture? I can't find justification for that as believers. But that doesn't mean we're off the hook. We should be actively blessing them, pursuing those who want to do us harm and speaking into their lives. Any more questions, Glenn? I think there might be a couple in here. Um, oh, yeah. Here's one uh, that says, going off my previous question, is, is that a correct way to handle the issue of abortion? What about women? Uh, do they need to be uh, shown love? I, uh, I'm pulling this uh, particular question out because I think it's a great question uh, when we're starting to address the issue of abortion. Um, I've heard another question asked in the same way, like, what do we do to the people uh, who are performing abortions? How do we respond to them? Uh, do we have um, any kind of recourse uh, against them? Should we be uh, attacking them? And, I, I, you know, I, I, I personally think the answer there is no, um, that we should not be attacking the doctors and the people who are performing abortion. I'm not for abortion. I want to be clear on that. However, I think that our response in that case is really uh, the best one would have to be a nonviolent response and um, to demonstrate uh, mercy and love uh, in that situation seems like the, the most um, uh, appropriate there. There's another hand back there. Jeremy, how should we think about Christ's teaching in Luke 
Luke twenty two thirty six. Um, tell me more about his teaching in Luke twenty two thirty six. That sermon on the. Oh. To have one right. Yeah, th- th- this is a good. Um, this is a really good uh, question too. So Jesus is telling his disciples. I'll read it um, uh, from here. Let me see if I can find it. Thirty six. Um, then they said nothing. He said to them, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, but now let the one who has the money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Uh, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled and he was numbered with his transgressors for what is written uh, about me as a fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said, that's enough. Can I take this one? You may. I may respond too. Uh, this is one of the ones I emailed you about, I think. Uh, for I tell you, said Luke, for what is written about me, oh, I'm sorry, I was trying to flip, for I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Uh, Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, I think it was Matthew was the other part of this. Um, some of them he had no control over. Uh, he was born where he was born. Uh, he fled to Egypt. This one, the immediate next sentence is, uh, he was trying to fulfill the prophecy that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Um, was it Matthew or the other place where uh, he says that also, I, I need to fulfill this prophecy. It's one of the last ones that I have to do. You guys need to have swords. That's immediately what comes after. Interestingly, right afterwards, he says, uh, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. So I think it needs to be read in context and with the, the plain scripture reading immediately after it. I'm telling you to get swords to fulfill this prophecy. And then afterwards, don't live by the sword because you will die by the sword. Yeah, part of the context, too, that's really important is to understand is that when Jesus first sent out the disciples two by two, um, they, like the movement that Jesus was, was leading at that point was very responsive and accepting of the things that he was teaching. And so he also talked about, at that point he said, you know, you don't need swords or anything like that. He said, you can go into a home, they'll take care of you. You don't need to bring anything with you because all of your needs will be cared for. However, at this time, now that Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man, these are political things that are are now becoming violent. Um, People were against him and against his disciples. Uh, Part of the reason why he's saying you're going to need to bring a sword uh, is because you're not going to have all of your needs met and cared for. Uh, anymore, like you may not have food, you may need your sword for uh, to get food to to slay a rabbit i don 't know um, we don 't know exactly what he meant, uh, but then there 's also the the obvious thing about Jesus controlling some of the prophecies that were uh, uh, stated about him that he he is going to be among those um, transgressors, those thieves uh, you know he 's going to be accounted as one among those people, and so they needed swords to be like thieves as well. And um, I think that the, the scripture is a little unclear as to whether Jesus was saying um, two swords are enough to defend yourself against someone who's attacking you, or if it, if it simply means um, those two swords are enough to make it look like we're a band of robbers. And, well, and there, so there were 11 of them, two swords for 11 of them, going yeah. two by two. Um, those are rough odds. Yeah, I, and I'm, I'm saying I disagree okay. with that. Sure. So. We can disagree. Uh, I still love you. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you say you still love I me? I still love you. That's good. And I'll lay that's my good. life that's, down for that's you. That's the first time you've said that to me, by I the way. I still do, though. This is an important moment for all of us. Um, I think, I think we, we may have time for one more question. If, if uh, someone has one, did any more come in? And then we need to probably move on. Thank you all for asking questions here. Trying, I don't know how much time do we have. I'm, I'm just saying that oh. because I'm sure people are hungry. Okay, should we stop? Am I right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. No more questions. All right. Thank you so just, much for uh, responding. And I do want to say this: if if something pops up and and you you're thinking maybe on the way home or uh, you know later and you want to ask a question, uh, submit it via email and um, and we'll we'll try to address it that way. This this is certainly a conversation that I don't think that we have necessarily finished. 
Um, and so we want to be open and available to that kind of dialogue. We, we recognize that it's not the same thing uh, as having a dialogue here and open in front of everybody, but it is a way that we certainly can continue that discourse. So um, thank you for participating this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to uh, sing one more song as we close out this morning. So if you'll please stand with me. Uh, let's, let's pray before we sing some more. Heavenly Father. We are thankful for uh, the life that you give us, the opportunity to come to, to worship you and your house, this place that is designated for your worship. God, we thank you for that. We pray that, uh, that you, would, you would be and that you have been glorified today through this. Lord, we pray that you would keep teaching us, that you would keep showing us how we should understand your teaching how we should learn and understand what it means to defend against injustice, but also still to love with mercy, with powerful restraint, God. Holy Spirit, be with us. Let us connect with you and, and be guided by you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's worship, church. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.